Hi, this is Sarah Class, and this is my album Resonate, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 191 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Emer Quinn, an incredibly talented Irish singer who hit the jackpot when she won the Eurovision Song Contest in 1996 with the song The Voice, written by Brendan Graham. Her debut album brought her to the attention of Sir George Martin, the producer of the Beatles, who then signed her to his publishing company. She's had a platinum-selling album called Oh Holy Night, and in 2020, she recorded an orchestral version of The Voice, which was named by none other than Prince Charles as one of his favorite songs. And recently, she recorded an a cappella version of The Voice for the 25th anniversary of her Eurovision win. And in the middle of this episode, like I do with every one of my musician guests, Emer and I are going to do what I call a song fest, where we've picked out several of the songs that she likes and that are her favorites, and we're going to play them and talk about them, and you'll get the backstories, and nobody else does this in podcasts. And my featured song in this episode, and I always feature a song of mine in every episode at the beginning, underneath the introduction, and at the end. And in this case, I've chosen the song, The Gift, Juliet's Song, from the Made in New York album by my band Project Grand Slam. I chose this song because Emer's best known songs have a kind of haunting, ethereal quality to them at least in my opinion. And I think that the gift, even as an instrumental, has that same quality. So Emer Quinn, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for that very generous introduction, such kind words. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Robert. Thank you. Well, you have done so much in your life and winning Eurovision must have been a dream come true for you. Do dreams play an important part in your life? You know what? It's actually in many ways what really interested me in coming to talk to you because, you know, the whole idea of following your dream, I'm not sure that people talk about that enough, you know? Um, I think mostly we're kind of encouraged to be practical. I know certainly my career advising teacher at school was encouraging me to be practical. And, you know, I, I was always wanting to sing. What did she want you to be? She, um, I mean, a, a police officer, a librarian. <laughs> I don't know. They're they're not they're great jobs, you know. But um, but the thing is that uh, you know, the idea of studying music seemed to be a little bit crazy to her. You know, it was kind of like you 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 know, 
I don't know, studying theology or like, I mean, to her, it was very esoteric. It wasn't at all a practical option. But uh, you know what? Um, I followed my heart. I did follow my dream. And I was singing with an a cappella choir, very well known in Ireland, called Anuna. Brendan was working as a songwriter and he had this song that had been accepted into our national qualifying competition to send a song to this this enormous Eurovision uh, European song competition. And he was sitting in the audience at this concert that I was singing at. I didn't know him, he didn't know me. And he heard me sing on stage and he needed somebody to sing this song. The group that had demoed the song weren't available. He was looking for a singer because this song had been accepted. And I had no idea, but my dream obviously was to work full time as a singer. And you really and truly do not know what connections, what possibilities are out there in the ether, but you have to dream. And you have to engage yourself in your dream, right? You have to be in pursuit of it, but you also have to be open to the possibility that of course, dreams come true. They have to come true, they do, you know? So this excites me, that that synergy, that that unknown, the, that, that moment where these two needs can converge, you know, um, these possibilities. And, and I love that. And I always tell my children that, you know, anything they dream is possible for sure work for it, but also believe it's the belief, it's the hope, yes. it's the dream that is, um, and, and artists are dreamers. And if you don't dream, if you don't dream, you're not an artist. You're not truly an artist. I think you should take over this podcast because you've said it much better than I can say it. I will tell you that. All right, let's go back to what you were just saying. So Brendan Graham is sitting in the audience. He's written a song. Yeah. You're there. You're a yeah. singer. How did the two come together? So he came up to me afterwards and he said, my name is Brendan Graham. I wrote one of the songs you were singing in the program this evening for this group. And, and he said, uh, that's how you might've heard of me. And I've written this song. It has qualified for the national song contest. And I think that you are the singer. And I said, but I'm a classical singer. I can't, I can't sing well for you in your vision because, and he said, it's, it, you'll have to listen to the song. It's going to work. He said, I know it's going to work. And so, we worked together, we rehearsed together, the song went into the National Song Contest. And the way the Eurovision works is that all of these member countries that are in this, this union of broadcasters, which is called the European Broadcasting Union, so all of these member countries come together and they submit a song. And it's been going on since the 1950s, happens every single year apart from 2020 and for obvious reasons and and so some of the countries are outside of Europe because say for example Israel is part of it Australia is part of it because they don't have a broadcasting union to be part of and they're part of the world okay. so they are part of the EBU and so as a consequence they're invited in but other than that all of the countries they're not in the EU they're in the greater Europe so it, this also includes former Soviet countries that are now independent. It's all the Eastern European countries. So it's a really, really rich cultural smorgasbord of, of popular culture. It's incredible. It's just this fun, unifying popular culture event. So everybody submits a song from, or whoever, whichever country wants to, submits a song, and then what mm -hmm. happens? 
it's primarily a song competition. So okay. your country, each country has their own. It's all original work. You can be a known artist or an unknown artist, but it's the song that counts and it has to be original. And each song has to be sung or performed by somebody or how does that happen? So it has to be performed live. Each okay. country has its own mini version of the competition as the selection thing. It's televised. Okay. And then the country sends that song to this Grand, Grand Prix uh, thing that usually happens in May. It happens in, in a major city in the country that won it the previous year. Okay. And um, so now there, because there are so many countries now in the Union of Broadcasters in Europe, it has, has been now whittled down to two semifinals and a grand final. But they all happen in this one week. It's a super concentrated week. And there are over 40 participants. And, um, and then it's whittled down to maybe 20 in the final. I don't know the exact numbers. But everybody stands up and must sing their song live. It doesn't have to be in their native language. It can be in English. Um, it used to have to be in your native language. But everybody stands up, sings their song live. And then after that, there's this massive, massive televoting where all of these countries all around Europe, hundreds of millions of people, vote on their telephones for the winning song. All right, so let's go back a little bit because I love the way you're describing all of this. So you and Brendan got together and you represented Ireland in this competition. Is that how it worked? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And at that time, this is 1996, how many other songs were you up against? So there were 30 something songs all together. And the thing was that it was the last year where, there were, where it was a jury only vote. The following year was the beginning of the televoting in 1997, and now it's completely televoting. I see. So it was a jury-only vote. And the other thing is that Ireland had already won it a whole pile of times. Ireland has won it the most out of any country in Europe. So we've won it seven times in total. And in, by 1996, we had won it, when I won it in 1996, we won it four times out of five years. Okay, so you, you guys were the leaders, no question about it. For sure, but but I was the last of our winning streak, so okay. we haven't. It ended it. with you. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you had to go through a competition in Ireland to become the representative at this Eurovision. Am I right? Exactly. So there was a lot of other Irish songwriters submitted songs. That's then you know that's whittled down to say ten Irish finalists, and then. Then there's a, a vote and they choose the best Irish song to send at that time, which was this song. All right. So let's go through this again. So you meet him kind of by accident. He comes up to mm -hmm. you. He tells you he's got a great song. You're not sure whether the, you're the right person for the song, but obviously it did work out. And you start to rehearse the song. You sing it. You compete in Ireland. You're one of the 10 semifinalists or whatever in Ireland. And then you become the representative of Ireland in this gigantic competition. You've got it. You've got okay. it. That's it. Yeah. So tell us about the competition. Now, where does it take place and how does that work? Okay. So the previous year, Norway had won. So the competition took place in Oslo on the 18th of May. And so we all have to go out. You spend the week out there. You have camera rehearsals, dress rehearsals. It's in this big auditorium of 9,000 people. And, um, and you just really prepare and psych yourself up for the night. And it's, uh, as I say, you've got, you've got to go out, sing it live. You know, they had a beautiful costume chosen for me. And the song was an amazing song, I have to tell you, right? It, it, it was a 
it was a folk kind of bass song but the lyric was it was a really really beautiful lyric about about the Irish people essentially and our history our culture our past our desire for peace because at the time there still wasn't fully peace on the island of Ireland um, until the Good Friday the peace agreement a couple of years later so the song was very timely it was very impassioned um, but the song, the lyric was supposed to be coming from the voice of Ireland. It's called The Voice and the song, the lyric keeps repeating, I am the voice, I am the voice. So it was a, it was a passionate, and beautiful and meaningful song. And I was very lucky because we could just as easily, Ireland could just as easily send a really, really, you know, silly song that's just having a bit of fun because a lot of countries do that. Some years they do, some years they don't, you know, you're just goofing about. So it's a real mixed bag of things. And sometimes you can send a, a quite a, a, an earnest song um, that has, I suppose, uh, not not political because it's not supposed to be a political competition, right? But um, but that will have some type of context, personal uh, context for the country. And that my song was one of those, and I was lucky to sing it. Well, you know what, this would be a good point in the show for us to play some of that original performance of yours at the Eurovision. So we're hearing it now underneath our voices as we speak. Tell me what it was like to be performing that song in this international competition in front of thousands of people live and you had millions of people watching you on television. Listen, my child, you say to me, I am the voice. What was it like? It was terrifying to be <laughs> honest. No, it was. I mean, I was very young and I was very, very inexperienced. I wasn't like, I wasn't a pro singer. Certainly wasn't a pro performer. Like, I mean, seasoned going, I'd, I'd, never, I'd hardly ever been in front of a TV camera. I certainly didn't sing it to the best of my ability at the time. I was so glad I actually managed to walk out there, sing it and not fall over. Let's put it that way. Um, but, you know, I, I think I brought some of that fear and innocence like to the moment. And there is a certain thing to be said about vulnerability when you're surrounded by a lot of pizzazz, you know, and show business like this kid who's terrified, who's obviously terrified, stands up on stage and does her best. You know, now I have to tell you, you didn't look terrified because I've seen the video. You look very <laughs> composed. I can understand what you're saying inside. You might have been boiling over, but outside you looked cool as a cucumber. Okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and the singing was magnificent. You wouldn't have won if you didn't sing it so great. But I mean, the experience of doing this, as you just said, you weren't experienced in television. You weren't experienced as a performer. You were kind of plucked by, by Brendan Graham to sing this song. That must have been an awesome experience. Awesome is actually the, the correct word in 
in every sense of the meaning of the word awesome. <laughs> that was exactly what it was. You know, it was incredible. It, it was really incredible. And the, the most exciting thing for me in many ways was I had had this very narrow and focused path that I was going on as a classical singer wanting to be a professional chorister. I really like was so into choral singing. I had this very specific desire. But the, my main thing was that I just wanted to sing. I was only happy when I was singing. And, and I really didn't care how it happened. But I, did, I didn't really know about any other possibilities, how, how else that might happen. I knew I did sing folk music as well as classical music. And all of a sudden, standing there on this stage with these many thousands of people in the room, and with the many, the hundreds of millions of people watching it at home, I realized that once I am performing music that I can emotionally make a connection with, and then I can in turn allow other people to connect to because they, they can see this connection. Right. I realized, I understood that alchemy in that moment. It was extraordinary. And I realized that actually genre of music does not matter. This is literally about how sounds come together to resonate in your spirit and you can transcend and then other people vicariously transcend through your transcendence and, and music is magic. And there is no such thing as genre, it's all the same. It's, it, music is, is, is a kind of magic. When it's performed at the highest level, it touches your soul. It does, yeah. Okay, so you're on the stage. You've now sung the song. Okay, what happened right afterwards? Well, the place went crazy. Um, I had just managed to sing a duet with Morton Harkett a few minutes beforehand in the green room, and I had been a massive Aha fan. So this was <laughs> insane. So my mind was blown in every which direction. Security descended on me so that we could make a path in through for the prize giving. Then I was swept aside by our, our journalists so I could do a, a live link into our news broadcast. Then I was swept back aside and security was brought down into this party down a staircase. It was camera splashes going crazy. Now, and is this after you, you were declared the winner? Or yeah. was this right after you sang your song? So this was after I was declared the winner. All right, after but I want to hear. Oh, you want to hear what happens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, you've sung the song. You got forty other competitors out there that are singing their songs. How was the coronation? Okay, so what happens is, after you sing your song, you return to a green room space that is televised. So each country delegation sits at their table and they fly their flag and the cameras <laughs> go around the go around this green room space to each of the countries in between and they'll interview them how do you feel it's going are you happy with the result then then you sit down and you watch the the scoring coming in so everybody everybody does their performance and then there's this massive massive thing where the scoreboard is tallied and each country returns their, they have a they have a returning officer for the for their result. So say for example, you're the returning officer for France and you say bonsoir, uh, la France, Ireland uh, 12 points. So they say it in French, we're giving France is giving Ireland 12 points. So you go 
one all the way up to 10 and then you skip to 12. There's no 11. I don't know why. <laughs> and, um, and so they all come on and they say it in their language and the hosts are bilingual and mostly is English, English and French. So the, each country comes along and they award their points all the way up to the 12 points, the 12 points to their favorite song. And the points are tallied, tallied, tallied. And you see the scoreboard keeps changing and countries go up and countries go down and countries go up. And Ireland was sitting at the top and it got to the point where we couldn't be caught when the other countries were. So it became obvious we were going to win. So the voting was done after everybody had performed? Everyone performs and the show is basically in two parts. It lasts for hours. Oh my God. It lasts for all the performances and then the voting. And the voting is everybody's favorite part. <laughs> I can imagine. Everybody loves it. All their neighbors vote for each other, you know, like, I mean, all of like Sweden votes for Norway and da, 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 you know, and so this is the way it goes on. But what's really interesting is that at the end of the day, the most popular song always wins anyway, even oh. though you have all of this partisan voting. So there's no fix in this, huh? It, it's really uh, an honest kind of competition. Good. I like that. Totally honest. It's totally honest. All right. Yeah. Very, very authentic. <laughs> so here you are at the end. They're totaling up the, uh, the, the competition, all the votes. Yeah. And you can't be beaten at that point. UK in seventh place. Estonia's in fifth position. Cyprus and the Netherlands and Malta. They're the top ten. And Austria drawing with Malta. Ireland is the winner. There's the winner. Eva Quinn. Song written by Brendan Graham, who Ireland. has written a winner before now. What's going through your mind? It's totally surreal because somebody said to me, oh, I see. Oh, did you have so much fun singing Norwegian Wood with Morton Harkett? Like this was about five years ago. Someone said this to me and I said, I never sang Norwegian Wood with Morton Harkett. And they said, you totally did. I saw you on TV. And I said, I didn't sing Norwegian Wood. They said, look it up on YouTube. <laughs> so I looked it up on YouTube, right? And I have this totally glazed look in my eye. I'm just like not there. I was, I had gone. So you did it. sing it. I did. And I had to watch it on YouTube to believe it. Okay, so you've won the competition. What happens then? Does confetti rain down? Do they put a crown on you? What do they do? Morton Harkett leads Eva Quinn to the stage, followed by Brendan Graham, the writer of The Voice, the winning song. She will sing the reprise, 23-year-old Eva Quinn, who has sung with Anuna on the London stage. Part of River Dance. Out to the Great Hall with its facsimile derricks and now rockets. Whiz bang! Spectacular. Yeah, pyrotechnics, the whole thing's crazy. And then it's an absolute crazy night. It's crazy. I mean, the, because all of these countries, they all have their journalists there, their broadcasters, their, their music journalists. There's a huge journalistic delegation. So everybody wants to talk to you. Everyone wants to get the photograph with you. It's just like you you have this snapshot of what it get, what it is to be an absolute megastar, like 
uh, an enormous, like a Hollywood movie star or whatever, because everybody in the room wants a piece of you. And uh, I have to say, you know, I'm so glad I'm not a Hollywood megastar, you know, and it's a very, very short lived experience. It's a brief momentary experience of what it's like to be in, uh, because it's not that the whole world knows who you are, but everybody in this building knows who you are and they all want an interview with you. So it was it was fascinating insight into that world of of, of intense celebrity. But there must have been a, a continuation in some fashion. I mean, you're famous at that point. You've won sure. this enormous competition. What happened afterwards? What was the result afterwards? Well, you know, the great thing is, is that there's another winner next year. So you're never going to have that intensity for the rest of your life. Do but you, know you got I mean? at least a year out of it. Oh, for sure. Listen, I went, uh, it was great. I mean, I, we, we charted in the UK top 40, which a Eurovision song hadn't done for a very long time. Um, but I have to say that I didn't, I'm not super into fame. Okay, that's, um, it doesn't motivate me. And, um, and I was slightly overwhelmed by it. So I have, I had been, I was at university actually studying musicology at the time. And, um, and I had the opportunity to go back and, and do my exam. So uh, I did the press conference on Saturday, got on the plane on Sunday and, um, and went to, the, to university on Monday. I had to be taken by security in to do a news broadcast and press conference in the university. And then I went in and did my first exam. <laughs> and I just said, <laughs> I'm going to do my university exams right now, guys. Sorry, I can't do a world tour. <laughs> and so uh, Back to reality, huh? Yeah, I liked reality more than stardom, I have to say. All right. yeah. did, did your family and friends ask for your autograph afterwards? My mother was really wonderful. She said, Ima, there's um, some washing in the washing machine, but you mind <laughs> hanging it out on the line. <laughs> Boy, that brings it all home, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right, good for you. Well, congratulations. I mean, I know it's been a while since you won this thing, but what a what an incredible victory. And again, the whole transition being plucked out of obscurity, so to speak, by Brendan Graham and then, you know, winning in Ireland and then winning in the on the continent. What a what an incredible experience. It was a, jo a joyful experience and it has been a joy in my life to have had this experience and a tremendous honor, tremendous honor to achieve anything under your flag anyway, um, but also the, the community of the Eurovision and the fans and the previous winners and everything is a really, really warm, unifying community and is, is an honor in my life to be part of it. And also I met my husband, uh, who was the producer of the Irish Act for Ireland at the time. And so we started dating and, you know, here we are. That was the so, long-term uh, benefit from all of this. It was a long-term <laughs> benefit. Yes, there were many long-term benefits, in fact. Um, mostly that it, it then kickstarted tremendous opportunity for me in, in my working life. Yeah, I can imagine. It, was, it, was, uh, it was wonderful. Well, I want to speak about one of those opportunities because I am intrigued by the fact that George Martin, Sir George Martin, picked you for his publishing company. I'm a gigantic fan of George Martin and what he's done in his, uh, what he did in his life with the Beatles and otherwise. So tell us a little bit about your experience with Sir George. Oh, listen, Sir George, what a beautiful man. You know, I, I consider one of the honors and supreme joys of my life to have shared a stage with him. Um, he came to Dublin and he conducted an orchestra and a collection of singers 
singing his extraordinary arrangements of the Beatles songs. And it was, it was just so amazing. He stood on the podium. I have a photograph somewhere. I'll try and find it and send it to you. And he conducted a singing. I sang for no one with a beautiful French horn yes. solo in the, in the middle that he wrote, that gorgeous horn solo. I mean, I really wouldn't have liked to have been the French horn player. <laughs> <laughs> Gorgeous, gorgeous. And uh, I got to sing this really beautiful, beautiful song with him conducting. It was amazing. And I got to spend time with him and his wonderful son, Giles, and their part, business partner, Adam Sharp. And um, they were very interested in what I was doing at the time. I was recording, writing and recording some music with Paul Brennan, who was one of the uh, Irish supergroup Clannad. And um, so they really wanted to hear that music once it was done. And I sent it to them and they, they loved it. They thought it was very different, very original. And they said, you know what, Sir George really is so impressed. And um, he has asked us to invite you to, to join this publishing company. And um, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was, I mean, I really still can't believe it actually that I've worked with him and that he's published my music. and. And then he he um, thought that this other composer he had, who he was publishing, Sarah Class, and uh, he thought oh, those two are going to just get on great. And you know what, Sarah at that time, she didn't really um, do much collaborative composition, and she was like, "Yeah, let's give it a try." <laughs> <laughs> and little did we know, both of us, that we would become best friends. And um, so we have we have Sir George to thank for that. Well, you know, in my life, he's right at the top of the pyramid. Okay, I, I was raised musically and in other respects during what we called our British invasion period mm -hmm. um, with all the English acts. And um, of course, the Beatles were at the very, very top of all of that. And as you said before or implied, the Beatles wouldn't have been the Beatles without George Martin. He added so much to their music. Mm -hmm. All that, the, the string sections, the horn sections, the the arrangements that he came up with. I mean, just we talked about yesterday. Yesterday wouldn't have been yesterday without his string arrangement. And he had to convince Paul McCartney, if you remember the story, to, to go with the string arrangement because they didn't think it was, you know, a rock and roll kind of arrangement to have strings. So uh, he, he is, in my uh, opinion, a remarkable man. Just did yeah. so many remarkable things. And it must have been such a joy to be working with him. Extraordinary. Yeah. Sometimes I still have to pinch myself to, to really understand that that has been part of my life. You know? Yeah, you had you had him and you had Eurovision. What more do you need? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good for you. Hey everybody, this is your host, Robert Miller. The Shakespeare Concert is the new album by my band, Project Grand Slam. Fifteen of our greatest hits recorded live in the studio, one after another, concert style. No overdubs, no fixes, just as is. The album's been praised by so many famous musicians, including Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad, Jim Peterick of the Ides of March, Joey D of Peppermint Twist fame, legendary guitarist Elliot Randall, and celebrated British composer Sarah Class. And the music reviewers have called it perfection 
Five stars, thrilling, and a masterpiece, among other accolades. You can stream the album on Spotify, Apple, and all the other streaming services. And it's also available the old-fashioned way for purchase as a digital download or CD from the pgsstore.com. I'll even autograph the CD for you. I want to thank you for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you use. And if you want the inside scoop on each new episode, just sign up for our weekly email on our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. Let's go to the second part of our interview here, because we've already played your original winning rendition of The Voice, but The Voice has become kind of a trademark for you, and you've done a couple of other versions. So I'm going to play now underneath our voice, The Voice, again, being sung by you in Amsterdam in 2020. So this is years later, and you're singing it live for a big audience in Amsterdam. explain and tell us what that felt like yeah you know the voice is I know the people use the word kind of calling card but I guess it is that I mean for me but more than that it has become my own personal anthem and I can't leave the stage without singing it no matter what concert I do no matter what time of year I must sing it. It's um, the audience just want it, and yes. and and I never mind singing it because I have to say, it has become very much a situation now where I don't sing the song anymore. The song kind of sings me, and so it, it, it I'm a channel for the song almost. It comes right through me, and so it feels electric and fresh every single time. So you never get tired of it, huh? Never. Never, because I don't, I, I genuinely feel like I don't sing it. I, I just say, I just summon it and it just comes out. <laughs> and so I have this, I have the same, it's like I'm hearing it with the audience. I have the same fresh experience every time. That's and nice. um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm so lucky because God, can you imagine like if you were tired of it? So, you know, you won with the voice and it's become, as you said, your trademark. Um, and and the fact that you love still singing it is terrific because yeah. some of the uh, performers that get known for certain works, I think, become jaded after a while. And they, they, they just kind of do it, but they're not putting their heart into it. I'm not going to name names, but I think you know what I'm talking about. So the fact that you do it and you do it with the same love and emotion, that's wonderful. I'm just I'm tremendously lucky with that song. That's all it is, Robert. It's really that that song is um it's in me you know it's it's I can't separate myself from it so it will always be authentic it's um it's not at all a, a chore or a task to ever sing it um I love it I still love it to this day I love singing it 
and whenever I can, I love it. And whenever I can, like when we went to Amsterdam, that was just before the world shut down. Uh, I was in December uh, 2019. And the the Netherlands had won, um, the, the great Duncan Lawrence with some arcade had won um, Eurovision in, in 2019. And so it was this, the concert was due, the competition was due to be in the Netherlands in 2020, it was obviously postponed. But um, they were having this big like melody festival where lots of the previous winners came to this huge arena called the Zigadome. Uh, like I don't know, there's ten thousand people there, and we were having like a just basically this festival of celebrating uh, Eurovision wins. Lots of Eurovision winners from years before me, and then ones far more recent than me. Uh, we we went and we we celebrated our songs with uh, like a, a, an impassioned audience. So, do you have a Eurovision alumni club or something like that? <laughs> There isn't officially one, but uh, <laughs> certainly the Irish, the Irish crowd, the, the odd tongue will get together. Yeah, because there's enough of us to make our own club. <laughs> but uh, it's um, yeah, there's no official <laughs> alumni club. And actually, you know, um, I find that the as time goes on, um, I find the Eurovision becomes more relevant, not less, in my life. Actually, I find you know, in a world that is becoming far more uh, polarized, I find anything that is unifying to be a source of joy and hope, you know? So yes. so um, the Eurovision is all about uniting people of, uh, of different cultures, nationalities, persuasions. It's got the best, um, best most ardent fans in the world. And I've, I, I've, I find, that I like spending more time around your vision. The more polarized the world gets, the more I seek out unifying experiences. And um, it's, Good for you. It's, it's really great. It's great. And you know what? You guys are going to get the same thing because the American Song Contest is coming to your shores uh, March of this year, later on. Wait a minute. This is another competition you're saying? This is a competition which uh, America is about to learn about. America has acquired the format of the Eurovision, but instead of it obviously being separate European countries, um, each state and um, the 50 states and five territories and then DC, Washington DC, they are going to get to choose their own original song and, um, and send it to a national, federal song contests of the United States and um and so uh so it's going to be really fun to see how that works out because it, it can also be unifying all right I have my fingers crossed I don't know somehow or yeah. other I feel like we'll screw it up okay oh no 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 <laughs> I mean no, look no. we've already got American Idol we've got the voice I mean we've got these competitions um okay if you think this one might work I'm going to put my faith in you uh, well, I'm hoping it's going to be very different to those competitions because those competitions are about an act. You know, they're about choosing an act, whereas this is about choosing a song. Okay. So this is a very different emphasis. And it's also, it's about representing where you come from. Are you going to come over and sing the voice for this competition? Oh, and that would be fun. That would be so fun. <laughs> that would be so fun. All right, we'll try I and have, work on I that. Have, 
I have a lot of I have a lot of hope for this competition in America, you know, because America, like like the rest of the planet, is is a very very polarized society right now, and it you know anything that can be unifying is a is a great thing. Well, I'm I'm with you on that, and I got my fingers crossed. How about that? Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. All right, let's go to the next song. I know you've done another version of the uh, the voice. You sang an a cappella version, which was kind of recent. But I want to go to something different. You did a song called The Watchman. Tell us about that. So um, I decided to record um, a bunch of songs that I'd been singing with orchestra for a lot of my career and hadn't released a full album of orchestral music. And actually mostly I'd, I'd had a long collaborative career with the concert orchestra in Ireland, the Orti concert orchestra. So I asked them to collaborate with me on an album. And um, we recorded a lot of the songs that I had been performing with them for, for a bunch of years. Um, but we also brought some new material. So Brendan and I, um, Brendan Graham and I, over the years have begun to write music together, which is really wonderful. We're very, very close friends. And he had given me this, um, this really uh, incredible lyric actually called The Watchman, a, a, a lyric. And it was about, um, I mean, a, I guess, um, a force mightier than us, um, an overseer, you know, um, a force for good. And, um, and he sent me this lyric and I wrote a melody to it and uh, recorded it with the concert orchestra. Um, and it ended up that it was, uh, was very, became very much an anthem um, on uh, Irish radio, particularly on Lyric FM, uh, was played very regularly during the pandemic. The idea of provenance, you know, of something greater than us that would look out for us. Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that, um, I don't know, that just fell at the right time for me, um, even though obviously clearly releasing this album, which I'd worked on for a very long time during the pandemic, was what I thought would be a desperate thing to have to do. Um, it ended up being a very positive thing. Good, good, good. Okay, let's go to the last song that we have on our list. And I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, I believe. It's called In Paradisum. Did I get well, it close? You did not pronounce it incorrectly. That is the perfect Yay. Well Now <laughs> you right. speak Latin. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> Tell us about that one. Okay, so this is, um, hmm, it's a Latin uh, set of words and it's the last movement of, uh, 
of the requiem, the Latin requiem mass. So, which is the mass um, for the dead. And I have, I have been working for some time on a large scale project, which is an entire requiem mass. And the idea of this requiem is that it is for a promised child. So a child that the, the parents have lost through miscarriage or stillbirth, a, a child who has never managed to, um, that they've never managed to meet. And, um, and so I wrote this, um, this imparadism through my own grief and helping me with my own grief and in, in in having an experience with that. And um, it's supposed to be uplifting. It's when the angels welcome you to paradise, it's a sense of hope, it's a sense of continuation, and it's a sense of moving towards the light. And so it's written very much in that way, um, with a sense of positivity and the divine. And so it was recorded with the Orgy Concert Orchestra, and the most amazing thing was that there's a quite a large um, uh, classical music channel in the UK called Classic FM, and it's, uh, it's, it's got a huge following and every year they pull their listeners, um, they do a poll with their listeners of their favourite classical music for that year and they call it the Hall of Fame. And usually it has obviously all of the amazing works of the grandmasters of, of music from the, through the generations, the, the classical canon. And very few female composers represented there. Usually the only female composer frequently is Clara Schumann. And the classic FM uh, listeners, when they heard my piece in Paradise and they started to request it, which was really amazingly moving to me. And then they voted it into this Hall of Fame last year, which I have to say is the most extraordinary thing is like the second most extraordinary thing of my life. <laughs> it really is. It's I feel humbled and mind blown by it and so greatly encouraged because as a composer, first of all, I suppose, because this was the composition that was voted in, but I'm also performing it. Um, it's a very isolated life. You know, you wonder, are you are you bringing anything new to right. the world or is it, is it worth your while? And um and it was incredibly encouraging. I was so encouraged by it and also moved and humbled. Well, you, this is another success of yours. You've had so many successes. It's incredible. You should be out there buying lottery tickets because I'm sure <laughs> you would hit the lottery as well. Um, we, we have been speaking to Emer Quinn, who has had a remarkable life with The Voice and with Eurovision and with Sir George Martin and now with this song. It's been such a pleasure to meet you and to talk with you. And I thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, now we are going to listen to the song that we started out underneath the introduction. It's a song that I wrote called The Gift, Juliet's Song. I thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.